The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. And today we're doing an emergency podcast, no intro music. We got to get this up on the internet as soon as possible. And the reason is because I think it's time to dissect everything going on with the GameStop situation and what it means for the stock market. Now, uh, I think it's important on this show to focus on the systems that underlie what we see in the headlines, not the headlines itself. You can read all the stories. We want to tell you what's actually going on uh, in the economy and the political system that makes what we see in the headlines. So, And do it in a way that's without spin and just gets right to the heart of the issues. And so uh, I think that's important to do with the GameStop story in particular, because there have been a lot of frothy headlines and a lot of uh, inaccurate, in my opinion, takes about what's going on. Uh, and it's all been moving so fast that it's been hard to keep up with anyway. Um, and let's I'd really like to get to the heart of the matter. And joining us today uh, is someone who I've been reading fairly religiously. I assigned myself all of his work over the winter break. Uh, and feel decently caught up. And I think that there's nobody in better position to uh, weigh in on what's happening than our guest today, Ranjan Roy, who is the co-author of The Margins, a terrific newsletter on Substack. Welcome, Ranjan. Great to be here. Great to have you. So um, to begin with, you know, you have uh, an interesting background for someone who writes so prolifically about finance. You actually started trading foreign currencies. Is that where, is that correct? Yep. I worked on the Emerging Market Currency Derivative Desk, long-standing title from uh, at Bank of America from 2002 to 2009. And then you eventually got disillusioned with what was going on? Yeah. I, I realized about halfway through that it was definitely not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But I mean, it was exciting. I love economics. I love geopolitics. So it was definitely an interesting place to be. But the financial crisis was kind of the nail in the coffin, just seeing how everything played out, seeing you know how power structures were distributed, seeing where money was made and how it was made, especially during kind of a chaotic and trying time like that. Yeah. And it, having a chance to see it firsthand, uh, I think adds a level of authority and, and, um, and just general knowledge to your writing uh, that's made it really particularly great to read. I started out my career uh, selling advertising technology and buying ads. So to write about the ad systems that Facebook is doing, I always felt that that was an advantage. And like, it's very cool to be able to see your writing from a financial standpoint. And I don't know, I feel like sometimes in society, we're lucky to get writers that just get it. And, and I feel like you're one. So um Let's talk about, uh, I, I feel like what we could do today is just go through some of your pieces that will get us to a point where we can explain not only what's going on with the GameStop situation, but what in society is making our market so totally bonkers. Uh, so I think a good place to start would be uh, zero interest rate policy. You wrote a piece called ZERP Explains the World. What is that? All right. So ZERP is zero interest rate policy. Basically, after the financial crisis was the first time it started to really get implemented. But it's, again, the idea that interest rates go to zero, interest rates go negative, just they're incredibly low. And the idea is now that money that would have been sitting in a, a savings account getting one, two, three percent will find its way out into the world, productively investing itself into all new sorts of endeavors and uh, basically just being put to use rather than sitting around. And so what does that lead to? Because um, if you can't make money in a savings account, you're going to start making more speculative investments. Is that the takeaway here? Yeah. I mean, so in that piece, I definitely kind of walked through the risk curve, the idea that venture capital as an asset class traditionally was focused on high risk endeavors, biotech, technology, things that you know could very likely not work out. But when they do work out, they pay off a lot. And that's why very specific money went into those kind of uh, startups, those kind of endeavors. But then what happens is when interest rates are so low, 
then traditionally someone who would invent in, invest in you know treasuries has to move their way up the risk curve to achieve the same yield that they were previously. Someone who's investing in high-grade corporate debt might start moving to high-yield debt. Someone who was investing in high-yield debt start moving into something even riskier. And basically, everyone starts taking on a little bit more risk, potentially a lot more risk. And then every, just across all types of industry, across everything, things start getting a little weird, getting a little distorted, and uh, you end up where we are today. Yeah. And so um, basically, so why uh, keep the interest rate so low? Is it because we're having some economic problems and we need stimulus? Because if that's at the root of this, uh, maybe we should raise it. And so we could have people make you know, normal returns in a savings account versus have to run to more risky uh, investments as a retail investor. Yeah, I mean, the the Federal Reserve, the two things, again, are inflation and employment that they're supposed to be looking at. Theoretically, they do not look at the external markets. Um, and inflation has been incredibly low, even with low interest rates. So that's kind of the core argument. There's a lot of speculation or talk whether inflation could take off this year. But in general, over the past decade, it's been shockingly low. Meanwhile, until the pandemic, employment was relatively in a good place. Unemployment was low. So, so the Federal Reserve, because those two factors, which normally would require higher interest rates, were fine. They didn't. I mean, there's been no real impetus to raise. Back in like 2017, 2018, the Fed was getting back into a rate hiking cycle where they were raising rates. Market was freaking out. I mean, overall, it things were not looking good in terms of the market reaction. So we moved right back to our ZERP world. And are we so addicted to ZERP right now, like the low interest rate or almost effectively zero interest rate that we can't move off of it? Yeah. I mean, for me, this is the big thing is even the hint of it, like the the Federal Reserve is basically, Jerome Powell is basically, I mean, their comms or their communications department and the way they speak has become as important as their economics department. Because if they even hint at the idea of a potential rate hike down the road, and we're, we're not even talking about today, now they give guidance out, you know, six months, a year from now, two years from now, if there's even a whiff of a rate hike in the future, if it's even mentioned, the market will freak out. And again, like end of 2018 and or end of 2017 into 2018, there were market freakouts. Back in 2013, there was the taper tantrum, which was similar. Once the Federal Reserve announced they would basically be moving away from this way of operating, market completely freaked out as well. So, so I would say everyone has come to a point where they just kind of assume this is the natural state of the world and this is how we will do all kinds of business. Right. And so this is responsible for, let's say, us entering a pandemic and the market or partially responsible for us entering this pandemic. The economy is terrible, but the market keeps going up because that's just where people put their money. Yeah. I mean, why the market has been going up in the last, I mean, during mm -hmm. the pandemic is definitely, there's like many layers to it, but I would still say at the core it's, and, and you get this, I get this question from friends. I, it's just an intuitive thing. You know, if you come into any kind of money in last year, I mean, as a very relevant point, like people saved a lot of money. If you were fortunate to keep your job, if you worked in tech, if you worked in finance or any kind of industry like that, so are you going to leave it in a checking account at 0% or are you going to try to do something with it? So it definitely, that, that all this kind of collection of individual decisions, you, me, anyone sitting at their desk just thinking, do I want to leave cash in a checking account? When those get put together in aggregate, you end up getting into weird places in the market. Uh -huh. And that's how we end up with Tesla. For instance, trading I mean, at seven hundred forty-eight billion dollars in a twelve hundred price to equity ratio. Yes, I think Tesla. I mean, I'll, mm -hmm. anything, any for me, and it's definitely. I will. I am called out that it's an oversimplified view, but sometimes, to me, especially in economics and financial markets, the simplest view is you can be somewhat illuminating. And when things look weird like that, I think it's a pretty straight line to zero interest rates. 
Yeah. Okay. And so I want to put a, a pin in this before we start moving into the Robin Hood stuff. Isn't it crazy uh, that the way that we've decided to run a healthy economy, which is that you can't make money really in low risk investments, and many people feel forced to just shovel their money into the market, which is much more volatile. And, you know, there's there's got to be an end to it. Like, uh, otherwise, it's a Ponzi scheme. So what do you think about that? I mean, this question of what is the end is something that I've been asking myself. And and again, full disclosure, I've been worried about this for much longer than I almost care to admit, but admittedly from like 2016, 2017. So I have definitely missed a lot of this upswing over the last couple of years. And, and th- that's the different difficult part of trying to guess how it ends, because it can go on much, much longer and get much, much weirder than any of us could ever imagine. And again, Tesla was kind of weird. GameStop is a lot weirder. So so does mm. something come crashing down or is there something down the road that makes GameStop look like just another kind of day, normal day in the markets? And some people might argue, and some of my friends tell me this, that actually it doesn't matter that the market is unhinged from the business fundamentals. It's all about what people believe, just like everything is about the story people tell them to. So what's the what's the matter with that perspective? Or maybe they're right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the market can be unhinged until it needs to be hinged back to economic reality. So what does that mean? It, GameStop is the perfect example. So I, I mean, to get into that piece, but just mm-hmm. quickly related to this. So I'd made the comment that GameStop CFO is this guy, Jim Bell, naval officer. Um, you know, He's going to be in charge of deciding what to do with this insane stock price movement. Right. The and just is, to say what happened before you continue on that. So um, I'm sure everybody's read the story, but just in case, GameStop yeah, went yeah. from like $6 to $400 because a Reddit group inflated the stock. Uh, to try to stick it to the shorts and make some money in the process. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, and uh, to, to, to start getting to the GameStop story, GameStop stock skyrockets. Theoretically, that should be good, and everyone at GameStop should be ecstatic. That's the best possible thing that can happen to you as a company. But the thing is, knowing that their stock is a, a game, not to make a pun there, but you know, is it this joke right those. now, and it's a meme, um, it's going to come down or it easily can come down as fast, if not faster, as it's gone up. And if you're a CFO coming up with a one-year business plan, you know, a three-month, even three months out, like, how are you supposed to do your job? How are you supposed to, if GameStop is really in the midst of coming up with this digital transformation plan to go from physical retailer to some kind of online force, how can you do that if you have no visibility as to where your kind of financing abilities will be even tomorrow, if not a week or a month or a year from now? So it just screws up the ability of a normal business to actually do business. So bring that back to the market. I mean, if, if so basically you're saying something can be unhinged until it's hinged. Do you think the market has a chance of you know falling very quickly back to like, something close to resembling reality? I mean, I, I can genuinely say I do not know. And because, because yeah. again, this is one of those things I would say two years ago, I would confidently tell you yes, mm-hmm. but could Tesla go to 2,400 times earnings? Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, at this, watching what's happened over the last six months to one year has just it been such a great reminder. And this is even having sat at a trading floor during the depths of the financial crisis, like working overnight, the night Lehman went bankrupt or the morning Lehman went bankrupt. Um, this, it just gets weirder and crazier and, and new and novel all the time. So, yeah. And as long as the zero interest rate policy continues, people will probably just keep fueling it until the, until they can't anymore. Does that sound right? Yeah, it, there's no reason not to. I mean, if you're sitting here, as long as the market goes up and you basically all kind of infrastructure, the economy is telling you to put your money into slightly riskier and riskier assets, you will do that. It's 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 how things are designed to be done and it's how they're actually happening. Okay. And now let's get to one of our main players in the GameStop story, Robinhood. So... Um, 
I'd love to hear from your perspective a little bit about the Robinhood product and how does it sort of sync with zero interest rate policy uh, to help infuse more capital into the market. And then after that, uh, I'd like to get into the way the Robinhood business works. But like first, let's talk about the ease of use and how the product sort of puts uh, gasoline on this fire that zero interest rate policy lights. Yep. So so when I traded, I traded currency derivatives. There are these things called non-deliverable forwards, um, one specific type of derivative product. But options are a, a separate derivative product. And I remember I never got involved. It was always it always seemed kind of complicated. But then, you know, I started dabbling in learning, but I never did that professionally at a bank. But then I remember opening my own options account with Fidelity in around 2011. It took four days, I think, to get approved. I had to, fill it, I had to fax in three forms. It was a pain in the ass. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I am a professional trader. I have some money saved up. I, how are they telling me that I need to like do all this work just to buy a simple call option? Right. And, so, and just quickly, the, an option is you, you pay money for the option to buy a stock at a certain price? Yeah, an, an option, and this is important as we get into kind of the Robinhood mm-hmm. business, an option is simply an agreement. It is, I am agreeing with my counterparty to have the right to buy at a certain price or to sell at a certain price for a simple call or put. But it, it is a agreement between two people that something, it will be allowed at some point. Right, so I buy an option for GameStop at, uh, then GameStop goes up to $200. I can then trade those options and make 110 off of every single share that I've agreed to. So so let's say GameStop is trading at $6. I could potentially buy the right to buy GameStop at 100 for like 10 cents. Because again, normally if GameStop is at $6, why the hell would I want to pay for the right to buy it at 100? Mm -hmm. So the market maker will say, all right, that's a stupid bet. That's going to cost you 10 cents. But now let's say GameStop, I actually have the screen up, it's at 285. That option is now worth $185 that I paid 10 cents for. Right. At minimum, I mean, it's like that is the if the option expires today, it's now worth one hundred eighty-five dollars. So I'm up. What is that like? One hundred eighty-five thousand percent or whatever it is. Like, I mean, <laughs> See, it, it's, it's alluring. It's alluring. Yeah, it, it's 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 gambling with leverage, and <laughs> it's which is always which is always an alluring thing. Right. Okay. So you were saying it took you four days to set it up with Fidelity. How does Robinhood change that? Yeah, so so Robinhood, it's instant. It's like part of the onboarding, and and this was a big thing. And and actually, I will not. I have never traded an option on Robinhood. I signed up for a Robinhood account, I think, pretty early on. I remember I was very interested in it as a product. I put a little bit of money, invested in some stocks, but from everyone I've spoken to, everything I understand, you know, it was, especially even before, it was incredibly seamless. There's no real legal onboarding. It's just kind of checking some boxes and you can get started trading options right away. And it's in a, in a way, it's almost encouraged by the entire platform. And how is it? So the platform kind of gamifies a little bit. So can you talk a little bit about how it encourages this type of stuff? Yeah, the, the gamification side, and and to me that this is always an interesting thing. Like Fidelity, no offense to them, I still use them. I'm a happy <laughs> customer. Their their mobile experience sucks. Robinhood is fantastic, and, and you know it's like it. They make it exciting. It's there's like confetti that can go off when uh, you buy stock. There are even even thing like little product decisions like originally you know leaderboard these are all the stocks that are trending right now so then it drives you to think about those kind of things making this idea that screenshotting your gains is something that never happened on desktop it's called like we call it like gain porn basically gain like porn. yeah yeah everyone's sending around and this especially on like uh reddit wall street bets like you post it's just so much easier on a mobile device and it's become so much more common i never saw anyone screenshotting gains <laughs> or sharing them out of anyone I knew, even like plenty of people investing until the last few years. So so that whole mobile gamified experience really made it just something completely different. 
Right. Okay. So let's put it all together. Zero interest rate policy. Basically, you want to put your money in riskier investments. Robinhood makes it easy to trade options and uh, and it gamifies the act of trading, makes you want to do it more. Gain porn makes you feel like you'll always win. So how, so what is that? What, what is it like when these forces combine? I mean, GameStop goes to 360 or 400 mm. or whatever it is. It, it's, 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 I mean, not even getting into the social media, social platform aspects of this yet. Those factors alone combined clearly mean that kind of the story stocks, the trendy stocks, everyone will pile into them. They'll not just pile into them. They'll lever themselves up with call options and it will change it from them being kind of peripheral to the story to them becoming the story itself behind the stock. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to GameStop. We'll get some more Robinhood stuff on the back end here. What that so so the the Reddit they drove up. Actually, you know what? I try to get the do the cliff notes, but why don't you give your perspective on what happened here with GameStop and how it ended up soaring to the heights that it did? All right. Well, th- again, and 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 you'll see a common uh, common thread here is I do not know what actually happened, and that was definitely in my piece. Like, I really yeah. want to stress this because what at, everyone is bought into this narrative. The little guys all came together to fight evil hedge funds in suits. Um, what actually caused the jump? I do not know. But again, a few days ago, the stock just starts roaring higher. Um, I think what is it like? It went from, again, yeah, you said six to 40 to 100, 400. So, <laughs> and, and the thing is, it fed on itself to a level that, again, like even the Bernie meme did not uh, did not achieve like i mean people who i never ask me questions about finance or financial markets are bringing up gamestop you know like it, it's reached such a level in the national consciousness that clearly ends up feeding on itself that if you have a couple of bucks that, and you know you you've always you never wanted to dip your toes in but it's just exciting and you want to take part in this i think i mean that's clearly had a big impact on the whole thing yeah, in my uh, group chat with my brothers, where we never talk about finance, uh, I got a message: "Hey, boys, we stock yeah. <laughs> it. Like it's just become this thing that everyone's talking about." And the original conceit of it was that um, there were some hedge funds that were short GameStop, and there were people inside this subreddit, Wall Street Bets, that were saying, "Let's make these short sellers regret what they've what they've done, and you know, not even send it high, send it to the moon." And yeah, I mean, and they the, did. The, there's oh, well, actually, the, yeah, go ahead. There's, it, there's the fundamental story that GameStop mm-hmm. is this, you know, dying retailer, but cl- clearly the fact that uh, the the founder of Chewy, who understands e-commerce, comes on board um, to GameStop was a positive signal that, you know, maybe there's something here. And again, you know, they have a brand. Gaming is not going anywhere. It's only growing. There, there's, there's definitely a story there. But so that so that's one element. And uh, Roaring Kitty has been saying that GameStop, you know, should be a buy for a long time. Not and just Roaring Kitty game. is uh, Roaring Kitty is a YouTuber slash p- prominent redditor, deep mm-hmm. fucking value. If I can say now that, now we got to put the explicit. No, I'm kidding. Uh, right, yeah, <laughs> we've been going um, that way these days. Yeah, 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 I, uh, yeah. I yeah. Uh, actually at a friend's <laughs> wedding, I, yeah. I had done a speech pulling marital advice from Reddit. And oh, the big geez. joke was saying the Reddit usernames. That was like the funny right, part. Right, right, right. It was a couple of years ago. And every, mm-hmm. you know, and and now it's just every Bloomberg and the New York Times and everyone's yeah. just debating how can how I do, this How stuff. do you cite this? Yeah. 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 So so he's I mean, there have been people pushing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. But but the the big question is what really shot it up. So because again you have this idea that Melvin Capital and the hedge funds, and I'm doing air quotes with my hands, are uh, sh- so short, and now we can squeeze them out. But but what on whatever last Monday really made this move is still definitely an uncertain thing. I'm hearing in the way that you speak about this that you're still leaving the possibility that some institutional investors help push this thing to the height that it did, or that some you know Wall Street entrenched interest did that. Versus the narrative now that it's the little guy, so you're open yeah, to that possibility. 
100%. Again, so $20 billion of uh, volume traded on, I think, on Monday. That is not coming from Wall Street. I don't Maybe it is, and maybe that means that Wall Street Bets is actually institutional money or professional money. But mm. whatever it is, that clearly there was something beyond the small retail traders. There was huge lots of like $130 million on one shot being bought and sold. Again, clearly there's professional institutional money. But the other thing to remember, and I keep stressing this, of course there's going to be hedge fund managers on the long side. If they see this bubbling up, if they know, if Wall Street Bets has the information that Melvin Capital is short and vulnerable, I can guarantee you there are plenty of hedge funds who are sitting there licking their chops. They are just as happy to go after Melvin Capital as anyone on Wall Street bets. And and again, this idea that, and again, hedge funds in quotes, Wall Street in quotes, these are such kind of nebulous terms. Like every professional money manager is happy to go after each other. They're not in cahoots. They will, mm-hmm. you know, crush the other person with glee if it means that it will make them more money. And so again, the idea that there's everyone is on the short side together terrified of the little guys all banding together. It's just, to me, I'm not sure what happened, but I can almost guarantee that there is some professional money on the long side as well. Yeah. And so I DM'd you about this and I was like, Ron John, who wins and who loses? And you're like, I'm not quite sure, but I think Wall Street wins from this. Well, that's the main lesson. So yeah. Yeah. No, I'd love to hear your thought on that. Yeah. Wall Street, anytime there's lots of money being moved very quickly in one in in both directions wall street will win and again it's it's the house always wins yeah and uh in part that's because of the way that well actually i'm going to get to that question in a second i'm going to the way robin hood makes money but first um you had a uh a, a story in your newsletter this week about how you had seen real volatility and uh, in the foreign exchange market and how that had been dangerous and how that was an analog to what might be happening here. So uh, do you want to share that story? Yeah. So so John and I, my co-writer of The Margins, we talk about the emerging marketification of the United States sometimes. He's from Turkey. Um, my parents from India. I lived in Singapore. Like We both have plenty of exposure in, uh, to the rest of the world. And in the US, there's just been a lot of little things that have been kind of been feeling more emerging markety in the the way things are structured. And so for me, again, I focused on markets, Malaysia, Indonesia, South Africa, Brazil, Chile. Um, and, and one of the things, so, so actually, and I'd written my undergrad college thesis on how Malaysia responded to the Asian financial crisis. So the idea is called tourist money or tourist dollars. It's when, Western funds would go into some new market, just pour tons of money into it because it's hot and trendy. And then the second anything goes wrong, they all skip down and they all leave. And and it's that acceleration of the capital flight that causes real massive societal problems. And and Malaysia back in uh, during this time, they implemented capital controls, which when we were all happily neoliberal in the world... um, you know, the IMF, everyone is saying capital controls are terrible. Capital should flow freely. But it, it was just this kind of perspective that it, when you look at it at that kind of national aggregate scale, capital flowing in and flowing out too quickly, it leaves people in really bad situations. It causes, you know, internal strife. It causes political problems. It it really leaves things in a bad place. And to me, any of these meme stocks, going back to how the CFO of GameStop will handle this, I think leaves all these companies in somewhat vulnerable positions, How? even though it might seem. I mean, that, yeah. So I'll take the side of, of it. So I'm just going to play this for the devil's advocate. I mean, I know you talk about how no one wants to catch a falling knife, so it could just end up dropping, but GameStop was already shorted more than it was, uh, than it was, uh, uh, held. And it was, uh, you know, terrible, like a terrible stock to own. Uh, and, and so how could all this interest, like, even if it drops, um, cause, cause problems for the company? Yeah, I mean, it, this is exactly the thing that it's the speed of the drop. It's it's because again, let's say GameStop's I don't know is there a fair price? Well, if it was at six, 
were they hoping it would go to 20 or 30 or 40, let's say 40, right? That, you know, like the CFO was dreaming of having a $40 stock that fund all their expansion dreams and digital transformation. They'd hire McKinsey and it would be wonderful. It's not, you know, the idea that the stock will quietly settle back to 40, I think is just impossible. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be volatile. Yeah, it's going to be insanely volatile. And then again, when you could you actually go bankrupt in this and then have to lay off employees? Could it be, there's just, it simply kills your ability to actually plan and do proper business. And again, at the aggregate scale for countries, you know, when capital fled, fled a place, it completely changed the expectations. You could have had projects, infrastructural projects and stuff that you're planning to build. Just the entire country believes that a certain thing will move in a certain direction. And then that dream That's is gone. gone very quickly. Yeah. And that might be the case for GameStop pretty soon. Yeah. Or they might stay at a ridiculous number like <laughs> Tesla. Welcome to Zerpland. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, after the break, I want to talk to you a little bit um, about sort of the perspective of the actual Redditors that have engaged in this and uh, the elements of the Robinhood trade that uh, that folks might not be focusing on. All right, we will be back on the Big Technology Podcast right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast, Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we are back here for the second half of the Big Technology Podcast, an emergency episode with Ranjan Roy of The Margins. Great to have you with us, Ranjan. Good to be here. So uh, second half, got to kick off with the fact that we've been talking a little bit about how Wall Street is going to win. And is it possible that like people in Wall Street do well and the Redditors and the retail investors trading GameStop send their message? Um, Because that's what I've heard a lot in my mentions this week. I've I've had folks coming in and saying, "You're, you're not understanding this. This is about the little guy sticking it to a hedge fund that was shorting a company that we, you know, that we believed in. And uh, the Wall Street, the Wall Street ecosystem now knows about us and fears us, and that's good. And you know, by and by the way, a lot of us made money in the process. So, what would you say to that? Is is that is that like a norm, uh, um, Is that an argument that carries weight? Yeah. So, so my mentions have definitely been uh, flooded with that same kind of uh, same comment that I'm okay. missing the bigger point. Yeah. yeah. Good to know I'm not alone because yeah, I've been like, you're not alone. Huh? In this. I mean, and it's the the thing that's so frustrating for me is for the last two years writing the margins, I have been screaming about inequality. I've been screaming about like infrastructure that is stacked against the little guy. These are the topics, especially with big tech and Mm -hmm. with it finance that, you know, really are important to me. But to me, I just don't understand what is the message here because, because yes, you can disrupt a market. We have learned that. I do, I do think whatever has happened, the little guy, quote unquote, has disrupted this market. But again, what that means here is Melvin Capital could very well be fine. I mean, if mm-hmm. separate from this, this is one part of their portfolio, they might be fine. And in reality, Melvin Capital, with using leverage and using these tools that we're all calling evil, took home plenty of money and were paid out plenty of money and bonuses over the last number of years. You know, it's it's not like anyone will really be hurting on that side. But I do think one thing you definitely learn, and this is, again, having traded my own uh, money for the last decade now, taking profit is the hardest thing to do 
in any kind of trading. So to me, the idea that a bunch of younger, inexperienced traders who make really quick money and now can tell themselves that they actually are really smart and knowledgeable about the market are going to either one, take profit, two, or two, take profit and not put it right back into something else are so low. And then what will happen is eventually you will lose. And that's actually, that, that, that that's the scariest part of this to me is I think there's a lot of people in that kind of that emotional journey. And this is something coming from the trading world and sitting there and making and losing money and then trading myself and making, losing money. And I'm literally supposed to be professionally trained to do it. It's emotionally intense. It's like, it's an, the ups and downs of it. So, so for someone who's inexperienced to sit there and think that they're worth X and then tomorrow they're not worth that, it is a dangerous, scary thing, uh, place to be. And I mean, that's, that's to me the biggest concern here. Yeah. It sounds like a casino, first of all. It's like, oh, are you going to yeah, walk mean, away from yeah. the table? You just made some money on blackjack. And you've pointed out in your newsletter that Robinhood had to put up bulletproof glass because traders kept showing up to the office. What do you think that means? I mean, th- I this is the part that's really uncomfortable to talk about, but I don't know where if you are 24 years old and you're screen was telling you yesterday that you're worth 250 that you went from zero like you'd saved a two grand now you're worth 250 grand and then a couple of weeks from now you're now worth zero or even worse you're in the red because the options you bought exactly like what how how will you react how will you respond these things i mean these are real issues that need to be addressed and clearly this is stuff that when i had to wait four days as someone who was literally a professional trader with a reasonable bank account to trade a single option from Fidelity, they clearly had really strict measures in place to make sure anyone who's getting involved knows exactly what the hell they're doing. I mean, Robinhood, it's very clear that one thing that they have absolutely no interest in is that side of the equation, how their users will actually be able to handle all this stuff. A perfect segue into another piece that you wrote, Robinhood and How to Lose Money, <laughs> uh, you uh, I, you identify very clearly that the people that are trading on Robinhood are not the customers. Uh, it's somebody else. So can you go into that a little bit? Because it is no fee trading, uh, but it's also, they got to get paid somehow. And how does that you know skew the incentives to make them want you to trade options maybe quicker than a Fidelity would? Who you would yep. So, so how Robin make Robin Hood makes money? And when I wrote this last July, I, it definitely was not as much in the conversation. I'm very happy that more and more people seem to have been talking about the concept of payment for order flow or PFOF is like was nowhere in July. The New York Times had just covered it. Now, first it time seems I that learned everyone, about it. Yeah, yeah, with your newsletter. Like, uh, everyone is talking about it now. Is that is Robin Hood quotes you a price. There's a bid and there's an offer. And then when you transact, you would buy at the offer, sell at the bid. They will pass that order off and actually have it executed with the Citadel Securities or one of their other uh, market makers. Within that spread, within that spread is where all the action happens for market making. And I was a market maker on the emerging market desk, so I'm very familiar with how this stuff works. It's like between that bid and the offer is the magic that you can make a lot of money or a little bit of money. So Citadel, so the typical thing with a Fidelity or a Schwab is they will usually get execution better than what was originally shown, and they'll give most of it back to the customer. Citadel yeah. will. Well, unpack that really quickly. So that means that like you you buy a stock for a price, but it's a moving market. And so there's a market maker in the middle that will actually determine the transaction price. And so yeah. is that right? And then so a company like Fidelity, who has experience in this or does it on its own, uh, will ensure that you're not going to lose a lot of money in between that bid and what you actually pay for it. Yeah, and Fidelity is charging you a commission, not anymore, but right. in the past they, they would. And they still are charging plenty on options. So, so they don't have incentive. They have, they don't have incentive to really get you to overtrade. Mm-hmm. They will make some money on the fee, 
but on the spread itself, they'll happily give it back to you. So you're a happy customer. And if you're an experienced trader, you are going to be really cognizant of where you're getting your fill within that spread. So, so the thing is with equities, especially highly liquid equities, it's no one's really noticing. This is like fraction of a cent stuff. But mm-hmm. with illiquid, uh, any kind of asset, especially options, the spread gets wider. So there's much, much more room to play within the middle there. And options definitely are a more profitable thing for a market maker to be involved in. Even for me, again, emerging markets, the spread was much wider, especially for a country, you know, uh, it's like a country, the more unstable or underdeveloped they are, the spread's always going to be wider. And the market maker is always making much more money in that space. So Robinhood is making money by working with Citadel, who is the market maker there, and some passes a bit of that back along to Robinhood when people trade on Robinhood. Is that is that right? Yeah, there in Citadel Citadel Securities, and actually, mm-hmm. after I'd written the piece, uh, the they reached out just to clarify. Citadel Securities is the market maker, and then Citadel yeah. itself is the hedge fund. Right. Um, yeah, so so Citadel Securities, they'll. They will give back some money to Robinhood from where how much mm-hmm. they were able to improve, but they can give Robinhood less than they give. Uh, sorry, they will pay Robinhood even more for things like options. So the whole system essentially is incentivized to get you to trade a lot and then end up uh, making money for Robinhood and Citadel. Yeah, which... Clearly it is, you know, it's like a Robin hood is worth whatever $14 billion mm-hmm. and it's free. So, and, and I mean, it, coming from the, you know, covering technology, this whole idea, it's almost become so cliche at this point that if you're, you know, if you're not paying the user is the product, but this is just an even more extreme example where clearly someone is getting paid somewhere. So this is this is how Robinhood gets paid in this case, and Citadel. Mm-hmm. And you talk about how the users are the gravy. Yes, the because again, the if you're an inexperienced trader and you don't care where your order is actually being executed, if you're not even paying attention, that is where the real money is there to be made. Now, maybe there's uh, something that's happened here where Robinhood's users have woken up because Robinhood had to pause trading on GameStop. And they realized whose side it was on. I mean, I know it's probably liquidity issues that Robin, like they didn't have enough money to back all the options that they were, uh, that their users were buying. But do you think people's eyes are going to be open to the fact, because that was another feature of my mentions this week was just people saying, uh, you know, we'll never trust Robin Hood again. Um, do you think people's eyes will be open to that? I mean, I would be the happiest person and I should have been the happiest person watching this backlash because what I was writing last July is Robinhood's whole promise of democratizing finance and we were inspired during Occupy Wall Street to me was kind of ridiculous. Again, you are a very good business that makes markets and encourages people to trade and passes those trades off to Citadel Securities who pays you and this is a wonderful profit like potentially profitable business that is great and will turn their founders into billionaires. Democratizing finance? I don't know about nope. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so so the 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 entire premise always was suspect to me. So so I should be happy that suddenly everyone is saying that it was bullshit. But for this specific thing, it's almost infuriating to me this this idea that you know they were working. I I do not believe that they were secretly in cahoots with the hedge fund who's short and they're trying to help them. I do think and I agree that whatever the liquidity issues are, and they indicated that, you know, this is clearly, they're saying it's preemptive. What exactly happened will come out at some point, and I hope it's not as bad as it could be. But, but I mean, they want an orderly kind of like move away from this, whether GameStop slowly gets sold down. Everyone wants an orderly unwind of whatever is happening right now from the regulatory side, from the platform side. People just want things to like quiet down a little bit, move down. I don't think. Except for Reddit. What? Except for Reddit. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I I get it though, but this is the thing. Like 
if you're, if you think you have made, or actually I don't get it. Cause honestly, if I was long and I think I've made a ton of money and I'm still being given the option to realize that profit cash out. I, I, I would hope I'm not angry. I should be elated and I should be yeah. celebrating and eating my chicken tendies. But like, <laughs> but yeah, but, but I mean, yeah, to, to, to be pissed off that I can't buy more mm-hmm. is the part that kind of really captures the whole absurdity of this entire thing. It's like, it worked. I won yet. I'm so addicted to this way of doing business and thinking that I can get even richer that I want to do it more and I'm mad that you're not going to let me. Right. Uh, I'm going to be optimistic that this is something that um, has exposed, like when do we spend a week talking about finance? I mean, it might be just because Trump's out of office and we have attention for other things. Uh, but um, when do we spend a week talking about finance and the financial system and how, you know, that who's in bed with who in the, in the systems and how to fix that? It doesn't happen very often. And maybe there is more attention that's drawn to the disparities between what retail investors get and what um, what the institutional investors get and how the retail tends to get ripped off. Yeah, I mean, th- again, this is like, th- this has been the most frustrating part of all this for me is this is the stuff that Peace in July called it the gravy, that retail traders are considered the gravy while institutional people are getting better terms and more favorable treatment, yet I, the conversation now has just gotten so weird again with AOC and Ted Cruz agreeing with each other yeah. that people should have more access to buy equities you know like it, it's mm-hmm. just it's gotten to such a weird point for me versus if the conversation really coalesced around how do we build a kind of sustainable stable infrastructure where everyone is treated equitably. I know that sounds really boring and that's no one's ever going to talk about that and that won't go viral. We'll um, talk about that, it here. That's what yeah. the point is here. Yeah. 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 Th- that would be exciting for me. That would be interesting. But mm-hmm. um yeah. I mean the, the the conversation has gotten there, but it's I don't know if it's gotten there in the right way or people are even talking about the right thing. Does it end with raising the interest rate to maybe put a lid on some of the volatility we've seen? To me, again, the danger of how that unwind takes place is if if there's runaway inflation, of course, the Fed will raise interest rates. I mean, especially right now, until unemployment goes down, without runaway inflation, infl- interest rates will not be raised and they should not be raised. Um so trying to kind of dissociate the two is very difficult. But again, like this stuff is so many different factors touch on it because again, with the stimulus, like should it be targeted or should everyone receive checks? What are those checks actually going into Robinhood or is that just kind of a meme that's going around? Like there's what is pushing it and how to reasonably and quietly unwind this is an incredibly difficult thing. And and with any kind of financial mania, I'm sure throughout history, there's always been people sitting there being like, you know, how can we try to unwind this and relax this and quiet it down a little? But usually it does not end like that. So So you see chaos coming. I mean, I I just hope it's not as chaotic as I imagine it Mm -hmm. could be. Yeah. the thing that, well, actually, um, I want to conclude uh, asking about, you know, the, our history of, and, you know, how we ever, whenever we think about finance uh, and how th- the good times will always last, it's always proven to be wrong. Uh, but before that, you know, we, we mentioned solutions and it was not going to go viral. What's your solution, if you have any, in terms of how to handle this current moment? Friction. I mean, Robinhood should never have been bi- allowed to be built in this kind of way. No one should be allowed to trade on margin or even trade options within a few minutes. I mean, that's such a simple thing. And that's the way it actually was before. So there's no reason we shouldn't be able to go back to that. And to me, that is not an anti-democratic thing. It's just a reasonable thing. It's like, and again, like there's so many behavioral things that as a society we try to put limits on or try to help people and educate them on that 
speculation in the financial market seems like a pretty easy one and good one to to kind of take that approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then of course you'll have the Reddit folks saying, "Look at you trying to respond to our liberation <laughs> moment, trying to yes, big Wall uh, Street know. over here." Yeah, yeah, but I mean you, the issues that you point out are true. Uh, every time we go into a recession, uh, everyone says, "How do we not see that coming? Uh, should we see it coming?" Right now, the the thing that genuinely worries me is we're entering this in an already weird, precarious, precarious state. You know, the economy is already in kind of a bad slash good slash amazing slash terrible place. Um, So so in a typical mania, everything is good and then everything gets bad. Mm. This is unlike anything that I mean. I've seen or read about or learned about. So, so, and, and like most manias, how it plays out, you never, it's different every time. So, so what this looks like, but, but for me, the even weirder part of this is usually there's an underlying story that drives it, the internet bubble, even the housing bubble, like yeah. house prices always go up. The internet's going to change the world. This one, so, so the, the energy of the last year with the Shopify and a Peloton and, all of those stocks at least had some level of like real, you know, it's digital transformation is coming. Everyone's work from home is going to become, you know, these are all whatever the degree of the rise is, even Tesla, at least there's a bit more of a story. This is just kind of nihilistic. Like this is like, this is I mean, is they call it YOLO, YOLO trading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, it's such a different beast right now that mm-hmm. how it plays out is just so unpredictable that, yeah, I, that part definitely worries me a bit. Yeah. Well, when this all went down, mm-hmm. I went right to your newsletter. Uh, and well, actually, no, I went first right to your DMs. Then you mentioned you'd be writing about it. I saw it come out, uh, read your piece immediately, and then linked it in big technology because I just thought it was so good. So as this stuff goes on, I will be following closely and I appreciate you covering it with such nuance, um, which I think we need more of in this world. So Ranjan, appreciate you coming on. Can you tell folks where to find your work? Yep. You can go to themargins.substack.com and sign up there. Okay. Terrific. Uh, I'll be there. And then how about your Twitter handle? Yep, It's at Ranjan, R-A-N-J-A-N-X-R-O-Y, Ranjan X-Roy. Great. Well, we'll get, I hope we'll have you back uh, with John sometime. It would be great to do, uh, get the full margins team in the house. Uh, I know we've talked about that since before the podcast actually was founded and uh, we'll have to do that soon. But I appreciate your time here on a Friday uh, for this emergency show. And I feel like I understand what's going on a lot better. So thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday with our regularly scheduled programming. Have a nice weekend.